Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And it turns out that Super Wild Card Weekend wasn't so bad after all. I gave it quite a lot of stick going into it. Maybe it's the volume of games that meant that the couple of less good games, let's say, managed to fall by the wayside. But we now know who will be in our divisional round weekend this upcoming week. Uh, we're going to break down each of the games. We're going to talk about the teams that went out and figure out a little bit of a look at what next for them. And we're going to take a brief look forward to divisional round weekend. Plus, we'll be joined by Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick a little later in the show. Uh, I'm Will Gavin, joined by Liam Blackburn, Gridiron editor, and Simon Clancy, Gridiron features editor. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? Spot on, mate, yeah. For people who are watching us on the uh, YouTube channel, Simon, why do you look like you're about to go skiing? I've got my coat on because my missus is asleep upstairs and I came downstairs uh, without bringing anything warm to wear. And even though the heating is on, I'm still cold. How cold is it in your house? I mean, it's just a but I haven't turned the heating on and it's January the 13th. (laughs) What people affects the elderly, doesn't it, mate? Gets gets to you when you get get older. Simon, are you most excited about the NFC this weekend because the average age of quarterbacks is 14 years older than it is in the AFC? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah that is it's a truth for this weekend though the afc average age of the quarterback is 24 and a half for the nfc it's over 37 or it will be by the weekend once drew Brees has turned 42 it's absolutely ridiculous really thank you to jared goff for at least dragging it down a little bit and not actually making them simon clancy's age as an average age uh let's get into the games from last weekend um and let's start off with what was probably the game of the weekend that kicked off the whole thing the indianapolis colts against the buffalo bills uh, the colts running it much tighter than i think a lot of us expected and the fact is for the colts that they have one very big question mark which is what are they going to do at quarterback but They have their picks. They have a good amount of uh, cap space to deal with that issue. An exciting young team, coaching staff that everyone's very positive on. It feels like this is not one of those teams that crashes out and then you don't expect to see within the next few years, Simon. No, it needs immediate questions answered, though. You know, Anthony Costanzo, will he retire the left tackle? What's going to happen with Philip Rivers? They're not really in a position where they can move up and take one of the top four quarterbacks in the draft. You know, what's the Jacoby Prisette answer? And then the secondary, really, they've struggled all year long. Xavier Rhodes came in on a one-year deal, played very well, but it is a one-year deal. Rocky Asin took a fairly hectic step backwards. TJ Carey didn't play particularly well. So there's a number of questions that they need to answer. T.Y. Hilton is a free agent. You know, Michael Pittman um, Anthony Costanzo's well. retiring. Yeah, which I said at the first... If you'd have oh, listened. I didn't hear that. It's, it's yeah. old age, Willie. It's old age. Yeah. <laughs> For my old age. Yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I can cut that bit out, Will, and make you look better than... than... <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Leave it in. Leave it in. Warts and all, baby. Obviously, Michael Pittman played very well against the Bills, but had sort of gone off the boil a little bit down the down the stretch of the regular season. Paris Campbell, obviously, they're very high on him, but you know he hasn't been able to stay healthy at any point. So there are questions, and really concerning the three big positions, left tackle, cornerback, and quarterback. Uh, Rivers has said he wants to come back. Frank Reich has said he wants to have him back. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, do they look at a Mac Jones from Alabama who obviously had a, a great night in the national championship game on Monday night? It will be very intriguing to see where Indianapolis go. But they are a team that is primed. That window is open for them if they can get some of the critical pieces right. But it's not going to stay open for very long. I think the, the good thing with, with Rivers is he'd, I think he'd come back on a fairly... They've obviously got a lot of cap space, but I think he'd come back on a fairly team-friendly deal just to play for Frank Reich and to play for the Colts again. So 
And he's also the type of guy, I think he'd be open to perhaps um, either drafting or selecting his successor down the line, whether that's a Mike Jones, whether that's someone like Sam Darnold or something like that. So I think he'd be amiable to that. And we've also got a lot of good pieces on both sides of the ball. Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, has obviously had a few head coaching interviews, so you might lose him and whether the defence takes a step back as a result of that. But certainly Jonathan Taylor came on strong towards the end of the year and, and that can be a, a big focus for them going forward. And I thought Rivers played really well in this game. You know, we, we talk about old quarterbacks at this time of the year. I think he surprised all of us really going into the cold in, in Western New York and putting up 300 yards and, and making a lot of big throws. And, and in many ways, they should have won this game, really. The thing is, I think if you're going to go forwards with Philip Rivers, we are going to be sitting here in exactly the same situation 12 months from now going, oh, well, you know, they stuck with Philip Rivers, but they got knocked out in the first round of the playoff. You know, it's... Does any one of us think that Philip Rivers is going to take a year older? Philip Rivers is going to take Indianapolis to the Super Bowl this time next year because I know I don't. So that's a dilemma that Frank Reich has and that, that Chris Ballard has. But I just can't see a way in which they're going to get over the hump with a quarterback who's going to be, you know, a year older this time next year. Yeah, I think that's the thing with that team as well. It's, it's not like there were any glaring, glaring gaps that meant that there was no way they could go to the Super Bowl, but they just weren't, you know, they lacked those superstars, they lacked those game changers that maybe could make the difference. And they've got guys on their team who you think could do that. Jonathan Taylor was brilliant down the stretch. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like they are at least nailed on as being a, a playoff contender for next year. And with the right improvements, they should push through. Uh, we'll talk about the Bills. With all, all of these, we're going to talk about the team that won and maybe more about the game itself when we start to preview the next weekend's games. But we're just going to go through and, and break down. Was there anything from this game, though, you did want to mention? Any decisions, any, any moments that stood out to you as things that were significant for either side? I thought the Colts punting from the 40 early on was, you know, and they had felt like they had the momentum. I thought that was a mistake. I, I hate getting to that portion of the field unless it's like third and long uh, or it's a really tight game uh, and you're playing field position. I, I just hate those sorts of decisions. You know, punting on third and three from the, the opponent's 40 is, for me, is just not a uh, smart coaching decision. But, you know, I'm sat on the couch eating crisps watching the game. I'm not on the sideline with Frank Wright. So it's, you know, it's a different proposition. It was it was a weird punting weekend all round. We'll obviously work our way through each of the games, but there were three or four games where there was a decision made. The Bears, the, the Titans all made decisions. The Titans made a decision that no other team has made in the last four years and 73 separate incidences. So I, I don't know why people suddenly stopped being aggressive in the playoffs, particularly a team there that have shown to be aggressive in the past was kind of astonishing let's move on to the all nfc west clash the los angeles rams uh, beating the seattle seahawks 30 to 20 uh, i thought that it was pretty clear that the reason that this game was one that we talked about going into this weekend was there was one very good unit on the field the rams even when aaron donald went down with that rib injury and he's going to play this weekend sean mcveigh said the terminator will go or something like that but you know, it is a torn rib cartilage. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's same, same similar injury to what Tyra Taylor actually had when he had that injection, which then led to Justin Herbert coming into the game because they botched it. But even when he went out, the next two drives, the Seahawks managed negative one yards over the next two drives. And that Seahawks offense, we now know that Schottenheimer is gone but it comes off the back of Pete Carroll doing a press conference where he said, yeah, we need to run the ball more and be more consistent in running the ball. It's like, it's an ultimate broken record. And you start to feel like the way that they keep building the Seahawks team and the way that they keep finding the same issues year in, year out, 
you're worried that Russ is going to become one of those guys who brilliant individually, but is only ever going to win one championship because it's just not been built right around him. Yeah, just, I mean, you came out of this game thinking, right, okay, Brian Schottenheim is probably going to lose his job just because of the, I mean, the Rams had more passing yards than the Seahawks did and they had a guy who had nine digits and another guy who went out of the game early. It was astonishing, really. I thought the, as you say now, well, the difference was the two units, the Rams defense. It looked like they knew absolutely everything that Schottenheimer and the Seahawks were going to throw at. I saw someone break down on Twitter how the Rams um, adjusted their defensive line fronts to to kind of combat the Seahawks running game. We obviously saw the pick six on the screen pass to um, DK Metcalf, which I think was Williams, was it? He kind of read that completely and just went back. Fantastic play. And as you say, even when Aaron Donald went out, Leonard Floyd looked really good. And it was was fantastic. And, you know, as you say, the the quote from Pete Carroll, I wrote it down here, was that they want to dictate the ball on offense and see last two high safeties. And I think it was, I was listening to Robert Mays earlier this week, and he was saying, well, that's a complete, sort of nonsense because you're saying that you want to dictate on offense and yet you're saying you don't want to play against two deep looks all season long. It sounds like the defense are actually dictating to you what you want to do. Schottenheimer sounds like he's out with a philosophical difference, whether he wanted to recognize the need to pass the ball more. And it just seems like you're going to waste more of Russell Wilson's great years. You know, the Seahawks are in a difficult position because they've got this Jamal Adams contract to do. They obviously got no first round picks in the next two years as a result of getting that trade. He was absolutely picked on here. Every time the Rams looked to pass the ball in the first two quarters, it was whoever Adams was targeting in coverage. And it doesn't, I mean, especially in the NFC West, you know, that's a competitive division. The Rams are going to be around for a long time, even with uncertainty at quarterback. The Cardinals, at the very least, probably going to be a six, seven, eight win team most years, even with Kingsbury there. And the Niners, you back when the injuries are all sorted out to, to be a good team again. So, I'm not sure the Seahawks are getting back to the playoffs next year unless they massively change their offensive philosophy, which it doesn't look like they appear to do. The, the, the offensive coordinator hire will be interesting. I can't see it being some sort of out-of-the-box revolutionary thinker. It'll probably be someone that Pete Carroll knows well and promises to run the ball 75 times a game. Wouldn't surprise me if it was Anthony Lynn who runs the yeah, ball. Great show, yeah, great shout. Lot, lot of inside-outside zone, you know, heavy commitment to the run game. Uh, the Seahawks have got so many problems, though. I mean, you would think that, you know, if you've got DK Metcalf, Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, you'd probably want to look at bringing in at least one more receiver, probably a good pass-catching tight end to really open things up. To play to the strength, the strength is not necessarily the running game because of the offensive line. There's so many issues on defence. They drafted really badly. You look at LJ Collier, you look at the uh, Rashad Penny, all the drafting issues have been real problems for them. They're old on defense, you know, KJ Wright, Bobby Wagner, you know, Wagner obviously still playing at a really high level. Secondary is a real issue. As you touched upon, Liam, Jamal Adams, you know, is great in the box. He's great at running the alley. He's a great blitzer, but he cannot cover at all. Even tackling an open field has become a bit of an adventure for him in the second half of the season. Um, And teams are quickly working out how you play matchup football against him. So, yeah, I, um, I think big issues for the Seahawks moving forwards. And like you say, I'd be surprised if they made the playoffs over the next few years, unless they have this dramatic change or they really hit on three or four draft picks, which piles the pressure on John Schneider, who signed a new contract last night. Or as has been happening in recent seasons, they get a combination of Russell Wilson carrying them at times and a division where we look at it and we say it's strong top to bottom but this year you had the 49ers with their injury issues and the Cardinals with their coaching issues last year you had the Rams fall off quite badly after the, the Super Bowl run and you know ensuing seasons they struggled until this year so you know they may scrape their way into the playoffs particularly with seven 
teams in there, but I, they're another one who I don't imagine getting past the first round with the current setup. They've got $6 million in cap space. And Jamal Adams, as much as he's saying, you know, he's not going to be pushing for a contract in the same way. He seems much happier. Um, I listened to his interview with Peter King and I do buy legitimately that he is a happier man being at a team who have an opportunity to contend. But once they've signed his contract and they don't have first round picks for the next couple of years, he's the reason they have less of an opportunity to yeah. contend potentially. Yeah. So, But also Wilson threw eight, t- if you take out the four touchdowns against the Jets, Wilson threw eight touchdowns in the second half of the season. So as good as he is, that is just not acceptable for a quarterback of his level. So big questions, big questions for Seattle. The best defensive play they had, again, in this game was another massively off-script play where Wilson rolled out to his left through an absurd pass off-platform where Metcalf just recognised it and got open. And there's only so many times you can rely on Wilson to do that in a game. And rely on the receivers to keep making those plays downfield when the play does break down and they have to go off schedule, which is what, you know, they relied on so heavily the first few years, but less so the last couple. The late game on Saturday, the first of our probably two duffers of the weekend, Uh, although Washington did a good job of keeping it close right up until the fourth quarter. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31, Washington 23. And I mean, honestly, the reason it was kept close was because despite the fact that Tom Brady had another big passing day the Washington defensive line had a good game and they were very good in red zone defense and they just kept the Buccaneers to three time and time again and and that was the only thing that actually stopped this game from being a blowout because you look at everything else whether it's time of possession first downs total yardage everything you see on paper looks like the Bucs probably should have put up a 50 bomb and instead we're talking about a game that was still a score right towards the end Simon. Yeah I thought that the Washington football team played really, really well. Defensively, they're, uh, you know, beyond Chase Young, there's a lot of no names there, um, certainly to the kind of the average NFL fan and certainly in that sort of back seven. You know, the defensive line is loaded for first-round picks. Obviously, Ryan Kerrigan has, has walked, but I thought they generally played really well and, and hat tip to Taylor Heineke, who I thought put in probably the premier quarterbacking performance of, of wildcard weekend. You know, those sort of intermediate in breaking routes that he kept connecting on to again a a sort of band of unheralded receivers beyond Terry McLaurin you know the two Sims guys obviously Logan Thomas who was a quarterback at Virginia Tech has turned into a a plus tight end for them Antonio Gibson wasn't particularly well involved and certainly not in the screen game but generally I thought they played they played really well and I think it speaks to the level of coach that Ron Rivera is that he got them competitive down the stretch and I think you know they're a couple of drafts away if they can hit on a few players but they're a couple of drafts away from really being a you know a potential contender in the NFC. I think ultimately, though, it comes back to the quarterback position. They have to sort that out. Obviously, it's not going to be Dwayne Haskins. Obviously, it's not going to be Alex Smith. And it wouldn't surprise me if Smith was released because he carries a, a fairly huge cap number. And there's, but there's actually not that much dead cap money if he, if he is cut. And then the question becomes, look, what do you do with Heineke? And I think we had this conversation off air before we started that as well as he played, you do hope that Ron Rivera and and the front office staff there don't think that that is Taylor Heineke moving forward, that that's going to be every game and he's going to build on that. I suspect it isn't. And at best, you you know, at worst, you need to be bringing in some fairly high-level competition for him. Again, they're in that slightly awkward position where they're probably out of reach of one of those four quarterbacks that's going to go fairly early in the draft. So what do they do? You know, it will be a very intriguing off-season uh, in Washington. But the, it feels an arrow up for, for Washington, definitely. 
The difference yeah, between uh, between winning that division, by the way, and going to losing a playoff game, which everyone expected, and finishing second in that division, is the difference between picking 19th and picking 11th. The Giants are 11, the, the Cowboys at 10, and then the Eagles all the way up at 6. And I know that there was an article written uh, during the season of maybe do you don't even want to win the NFC East when you think about the fact that you're a bad football team and it will help you in the longer term. I know that's not how coaches think. I know that's not how players think, but you're not wrong. It puts them into that kind of awkward position now where actually as great as Chase Young's been, you had the number two pick last year. Maybe you should have thought about a quarterback. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the one thing I would say about Washington and the the optimism I'd have going forward is in, is Ron Rivera and, and that coaching staff. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. You know, all the players play for him. As Simon said, you know, there's a lot of perhaps no-name guys in, in the secondary and at linebacker, but they, they all play for him. They all play hard. And it was an incredibly difficult job. You know, people forget he was fighting cancer at the start of the year. He was coming into an organisation that was an absolute turmoil with the name change, the allegations against previous staff members. And he came in and delivered it and got into the playoffs. He started four different quarterbacks this year. It's, it's remarkable, really, the job he's done there. And, and already the longest serving um, head coach in the NFC East now, Doug Peterson's been fired. And that would give me the most confidence about them moving forward is the fact they've got him there. And I think that while they do need to work out what they're doing at quarterback, as long as Rivera's there, I think they'll be competitive in that division. Their best player on offense yeah. is a in Brandon Scherf and that pretty much tells you all you need to know about their offence moving forwards in that they have lots of really nice sort of pieces but you know you feel like apart from the quarterback they're two or three more bigger name pieces away from really being a contender but if they can get it right I think it's a very interesting situation brewing in Washington. I was going to save it for between the two playoff chats, the the wild card and the divisional round conversation. But as you've brought it up there, let's not ignore it, Liam. The Philadelphia Eagles move on from Doug Peterson. Very different reports out there as to, you know, just how mutual that decision was, whether it was a firing, whether he went in and made it clear that unless he was given more power, he was going to walk away um, because supposedly he's not been happy with the the way that said the whole building of the team around him has been uh, has been taken away from him. And the reports that he went back with a coaching staff to Jeffrey Lurie for a suggestion for this year that was basically the same coaching staff with some reshuffling and bringing in a former defensive backs coach as their new defensive coordinator, you know, wasn't really inspiring to them. What I think what I found really interesting about it is I get that for the city of Philadelphia, he's the guy who finally delivered them a championship. He will go down in great esteem for that for years. I heard from a lot of Eagles fans who weren't happy that he's the one who's ended up being pushed out instead of Howie Roseman, instead of seeing a whole change to the organization. I I haven't seen anything from them this year, at least, which has said to me that Doug Peterson is the guy who would have turned things around there. It might not still be a great situation, but it feels like you would have just been treading water to have brought him back, Simon. Yeah, I mean, the team's a mess, you know, and is it unfair? Probably. I mean, he won a Super Bowl what, less than three years ago. But you do have to look at what's happened in Indianapolis and the situation with Frank Reich to, to wonder just how much of what they did, certainly in offence, was down to Frank Reich. The quarterback situation was messy. I think Jeffrey Lurie was embarrassed by what happened in Week 17 in terms of pulling Jalen Hurts in a three-point game, despite the fact that Hurts was 7-20, but he was moving the ball with his feet. And bringing in a guy who hadn't thrown a pass in the NFL, I think that was a, a decision that didn't look particularly good. Op, you know, the optics weren't great. 
you know, and Doug Peterson said, I, I was tired of having people telling me what to do. Well, that's your job, Doug. I mean, you know, you are not A, the owner and B, the general manager. That's Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman. You, you know, there is a sense that there's a partnership and some teamwork, but you are ultimately not the boss. And the buck stops with you when it comes to coaching. And it's an old team. They've got issues in the secondary, which they've been trying to solve for year after year after year. And they've never got you know, they've never got it right back there. And the quarterback situation is a mess. And whether that's part of their doing, whether that's part of a complete lack of confidence from Carson Wentz, whether or not he just was a really good quarterback, but mentally just can't get over the the hump of that injury and remains to be seen. But it does feel like somebody else needed to come in and, and try and sweep away the mess that's been created over the last 18 months or so. Seven had coaching vacancies in the NFL. I think that's the least attractive. The cup situation, yeah. The cap situation is the second worst in the league behind the Saints. You've got no idea what's going on at quarterback. It's an aging roster and there is definitely some sort of power struggles behind the scene with, with Harry Roseman and the owner and whether Peterson really wanted Jalen Hurts and that kind of thing. Did he did he refuse to put him in earlier because there was a difference of opinion with him and Roseman? You heard sort of rumblings about that and I just think it's, it's an absolute mess and as I say, of all the head coaching vacancies, that would be the least appealing to me because of all the reasons I listed. All right, that was uh, a little brief look at the Philadelphia Eagles situation. Let's turn our attention to the Sunday games and particularly the teams who are now walking away from the NFL season. We'll start off with the opening game of Sunday. I think we all kind of expected a shootout in this one. The Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans putting up just 33 points between them. The Ravens coming out on top. Lamar Jackson, to an extent, putting this team on his back and breaking all of those particularly tiresome narratives, considering he's 24 years old and has only been in the playoffs twice prior to this, but gets his playoff win. You know, does it by making some brilliant plays with his legs, including that 48-yard touchdown run. And you know, Tennessee just looked like they were they were outmatched on the other side of the ball, whether it's because Baltimore were finally healthy on the defensive line and had actually had Williams and Claire Campbell in the lineup for the first time together. But Derek Henry runs for, what, 2.1, 2.2 yards per carry uh, versus having monster games against them, particularly in the fourth quarter on previous occasions. I think I was stunned at almost how easy this game looked despite being only a one-score game, Simon. Yeah, I mean, like there was a statistic that I sort of saw as I came into the room uh, early on in that game from Sky, actually, which was said something like the Titans... Of the 586 teams that have been in the playoffs in the past 20 years or ever or whatever it was, that the Titans were 585th in terms of sacks, total defense, and uh, takeaways, which I thought was an astonishing statistic. And really, you look to their future. The two big guys on offense are tied up. The offensive line played pretty well. The you know, the 2,000 yard running back, the offensive line played pretty well. Uh, Arthur Smith looks like he'll end up getting one of those coaching jobs. So that's very important in terms of bringing in an offensive coordinator whose philosophy marries up with what Smith has done so well. I think the issue of not bringing in a defensive coordinator to replace Dean Pease was a huge problem in Tennessee. And ultimately, I think that that's where they need to be heavily looking, both in free agency and the draft at all three levels. They cannot get to the quarterback. Jadeveon Clowney signing was an absolute you know, car crash, as was Vic Beasley's. They just cannot get to the quarterback. Jeffrey Simmons is a really good interior defensive lineman, you know, one of the best in the league. Linebacker core isn't great. And the secondary, beyond Kevin Byard, they really struggle. So they need to get pressure on the quarterback and they need to bring in a D.C., it's interesting what you said there about the not getting to the quarterback. 19 sacks in the season prior to the game this weekend, which is the, I, I think was the lowest for a divisional winner of all time. But 
They had, what, four sacks through three quarters this weekend. They did get to Lamar Jackson on occasion. They did get him down. That was something they actually managed to do. Whereas actually on the other side of the ball, Arthur Smith's game plan did not appear to work particularly well. He was outcoached by Wink Martindale. If Matt Sherry was here, we'd be hearing a lot of consternation over how is Don Martindale not getting job offers while, uh, while Arthur Smith is because he is convinced that there aren't enough old white head coaches in the NFL at this point. <laughs> uh, so, it, I mean, it is true that he absolutely seems to believe that. I mean, I, he has never been happier. Tom Landry if he was still alive. <laughs> he has never been happier with a situation than the one with uh, the Vic Fangio managed to retain his job. I was just trying to find that stat to confirm it. Here we go. The one that I said earlier. Over the last four years, there have been 76 instances where a team has been trailing in the fourth quarter, facing a fourth or two, fourth and two or less between the opponents 35 and 50. 75 times the team went for it. One team punted. The Titans on Sunday were that team. What it's, are you doing? It's incredible, it's incredible as well that earlier in the season, we were praising Rabel for that incredible um, clock management. I was like week eight, something like that. And now... I mean, you touched on it earlier. Why suddenly the coaches become so much more conservative and less less like what they are in a playoff situation? It's like all oh, the spotlights on me, all the TV cameras, everyone's watching this game. I don't want to make a, a potential mistake. It's just, well, I don't understand it at all. Offensively as well, you know, AJ Brown obviously superb, Johnny Smith superb, Tannehill had a great season. We obviously know about Derek Henry, but there there are questions beyond that. Adam Humphreys couldn't stay healthy. Corey Davis, they they turned down the the fifth year option on him, and he's so inconsistent. He's a free agent, so they do really need to bring in a couple of compliments to AJ Brown if they're really going to move forwards. Because you know, I thought Tannehill played pretty well, especially given the fact that that Derek Henry was stopped. But you know, if you can lock down a Marlon Humphrey and you can roll a safety over to AJ Brown, you know that's going to be a competitive matchup. But who else is going to open up the field for, for them? Who, you know, who, where were Tannehill's other options on, on Sunday? And it really seemed like nobody stepped up, particularly uh, into that void. So that will be critical as well for the Titans. The big, um, the big thing as well is if, if they do lose Arthur Smith, how Tannehill meshes with the new coordinator and whether that he can get the best out of AJ Bryan, Derek Henry, Johnny Smith, like Arthur Smith's been able to do. The wide receiver free agency market, by the way, is definitely a subject for an off-season podcast because it's another decent wide receiver draft. And you've got AJ Green, Alan Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, if he decides to come back, Marvin Jones, Corey Davis, Willie Sneed, uh, Danny Amendola, John Ross, Keelan Cole, Will Fuller, Andre Roberts, Demarcus Robinson's eight. Like, there's so many wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. And the further I get down this list, the more ridiculous this list is. It was only because it was by average salary that I hadn't got down some of those guys who were at the end of rookie deals like Juju Smith-Schuster. That's also draft wise, you know, you got you've got Chase, you've got yeah. Smith, you've got Jalen Waddle, you've got Rashad Bateman, Chris Alave, Amon Larson Brown, Kadarius Tony, Elijah Moore. You know, there's a it's a really deep wide receiver draft as well. It, you have no excuse for being rubbish at the wide receiver position next year. That's what we're saying. Our second duffer of the weekend came on Sunday night. And if there's an argument for not expanding the playoffs to seven teams, it was the performance of the Chicago Bears against the New Orleans Saints, Liam. Yeah, I think um, we were chatting on the WhatsApp group and, and Sherry said that he was really enjoying it. I really didn't enjoy this game. I thought it was... <laughs> I, was I mean, it, it never looked like the, the Bears were ever going to compete with the Saints. And the Saints were just sort of like toiling along struggling on offense, painful to watch them move the ball down. And 
I mean, I, I went to bed when uh, they were, uh, the Bears were 21-3 down and uh, Maggie punted. And I just thought, I mean, it was the half time where they were 7-3 down and he decided to try and run the ball rather than try and score. And it's just, the game The game changed to me when Wims dropped the, Javon Wims dropped the touch, what would be touchdown in the end zone from that incredible throw from Trubisky on the trick play. That just sort of seemed like, the Bears offense saying, look, we've exhausted everything already. And if we're not going to get a touchdown from this, what are we going to get one from? And as you say, it was a real blow to everyone that thinks there should be another wild card because the Bears just looked overmatched and, and, and were completely outplayed despite the fact the score was fairly close at the end. And yeah, going into the offseason, I guess the Bears is another interesting one. It doesn't sound like Trubisky's going to be back. They obviously didn't pick up the fifth-year option. You, While he played well in, in fits and starts over the past few weeks, you certainly haven't seen enough to get him back on a deal. They're sort of in the middle of the draft. They're going to be outside the, the first three guys that get picked off the board, you would have thought. So then it's what do they do at quarterback? Matt Nagy, to be fair, has taken them to the, the playoffs twice in three years. I, I guess that Ryan Pace won't be back as general manager, given that he's seemingly whiffed on multiple quarterbacks multiple times. So that's a real very real question mark for me. And there's a lot of contracts there that the Pace has left them with as well, which, which don't look good. You know, they paid a lot of money to Jimmy Graham. They paid a lot of money to Robert Quinn. He's done absolutely nothing. You look at how Landon Floyd's been successful with the Rams. Uh, yeah, just a complete mess. And then obviously at wide receiver, you know, you're undermanned already. And then Anthony Miller throws a punch and gets thrown out, which is never a good look for the coaching staff when you've got such indiscipline. It was just a, yeah, a really, the guy a really bad that way to it's end It's happened season. against before in that same <laughs> season with like, like it, that's on your coaching staff to get into your players' heads to not let him get to them. And, you know, they talked about it all week long and, and that's it. I have to say that the idea, this idea that the offense was improved down the stretch, basically they suddenly started to realize that David Montgomery was a half decent running back, but there was one game, I think it was possibly the Vikings game, maybe the, the Jaguars game where they ran 60% play action. 60 percent like that is ludicrous and they were averaging 41.2 percent over the same period of time and people are like oh the offense looks fixed because they've been scoring lots of points recently that was against the lions the texans the vikings the jaguars like those are not good defenses this year and and they even lost the game to the lions with that on top i just i'm not buying any of it at all really not your best best offensive player alan robinson is a free agent as well which is you know I think the the most prescient point of all the prescient points that that Liam just made was that Ryan Pace may have the fourth opportunity to pick a quarterback. You know, Mike Glennon, Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles. Is he going to get the opportunity now to to screw up another quarterback selection? And how is he going to manage to do that? You know, where's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be via trade? Will it come in the draft? It's going to. It's such an interesting situation, and especially you know you look at Cincinnati's Desmond Rizzo going back, who could potentially be a sort of second or third round candidate for a for a team. It will be very interesting to see what what Pace does and whether or not he does indeed keep his job. Right. Final game of the weekend was the Brown Steelers and a game that was phenomenal in just how quickly it got away. Like I thought that everyone had gone to sleep and I was messaging the group saying at 28, nothing going, someone must still be awake for this. Someone must still be watching this to which Simon just replied out of nowhere. This game is drunk. And it felt like that all the way through. There's been quite an interesting narrative about this game off the back and, and we'll get to the Steelers in a moment, but I thought, it was interesting that the Browns didn't run the game out considering that's what they'd done so well earlier in the season. It worked in the end, but boy, did it get closer than it needed to be based on where we were at the end of the first quarter. 
the Browns thing, we've talked about this before with Stefanski and with Alex Van Pelt in terms of just the play calling. You know, you have Nick Chubb and you have, um, what's his name, uh, Kareem Hunt. And you'd think that they would just put more emphasis on that on that run game, especially when you're up sort of 35-7 or 28 nothing, You know, just salt the game away. But they continue to throw it. And at that point where the game started to get close and you start to think, oh, God, is this going to, you know... It did seem like an odd decision, and I wonder whether some of that plays down to the sort of the lack of experience that Stefanski has in the big seat. I know he wasn't available, but you know, come on, is anybody going to tell me that Kevin Stefanski didn't have a burner phone on Sunday? I mean, come on. I'm there was there was that great shot of the guy in the crowd who was a Browns <laughs> fan who had like the helmet on and the sunglasses. And everyone's like, oh, so he's just snuck in the stadium instead. Then uh, it's clearly Stefanski. As for the, <laughs> you know, it, what an off season lays ahead for them because for Kevin Colbert and for, for Mike Tomlin because there are so many questions you know Ben Roethlisberger is 31 he carries a 40 plus million cap charge into next season they cannot run the ball you know James Connor has just been unable to a stay healthy but b provide any sort of cognizant run game um, the same with Benny Snell you know Andre Villanueva is a free agent Mike Pounce uh, Marquise Pouncey has talked about retiring and then defensively you know Bud Dupree, it's unlikely that he's going to be back. You know, you, Devin Bush is coming back off an ACL. Joe Hayden is 32 and carrying a, a 15, 16 million dollar cap charge. So many questions to be answered. You know, there's no plan, long-term plan for a, a quarterback replacement. It's patently not Mason Rudolph. We'll have to see. Is Roethlisberger going to come back? The fact that he sat on the sideline and sort of cried. Juju Smith-Schuster will be gone. They're in sort of close to cap hell. I think they're 30 million over the cap already. So lots of big decisions to come in in Pittsburgh, but it does feel like, and and I saw a stat, I think for the last, I think since 1974, the longest the Steelers have been out of the playoffs is a four year stretch, which speaks to their incredible longevity uh, and their coaching and and their drafting and those sorts of things. But it does feel like there's a winter of sort of discontent heading to, um, to steel town. Particularly considering it was the Browns. They got knocked out to the Ravens look as good as they do. The Bengals have kept Zach Taylor, but they've now got Joe Burrow. So, you know, there's at least a light at the end of the tunnel for that Bengals team as it currently stands. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be competitively difficult for them in the coming Mm. years, to put it uh, mildly. It's such a strange season for Pittsburgh. You know, you you go, you start the season sort of a Super Bowl dark horse. You then start 11-0 and no one really believes in you. You then end the season on this run of defeats. You put... With, your, with people questioning whether your offence can score points. You then score 37 points in the playoff game with your quarterback for him for him 500 yards, and yet you still get knocked out. It's just, it's a really strange one. And I think we look at those, those stats are really misleading because Cleveland, basically, as soon as they got 28 nothing, that were playing a lot of pre-rent defence. It was basically just sort of Roethlisberger allowed to kind of pick his way down the field. And the big question mark there is what they do with the quarterback because... Ben restructured his deal ahead of this year, so I don't think he comes back and restructures it again on a team-friendly deal. So then they might have to look at cutting him. I think it's about twenty million if they cut him, which again is not an ideal scenario. But you know, it's just a complete mess there. I don't. There's while all the receivers are, are decent and Chase Claypool had a, had, a, had a good game here. It was against the Brown secondary that was missing a lot of pieces due to COVID and, and injury, and none of the receivers really. I think I've said this in the past. You can rely on to to make regular catches. There was an, again another lot of drops here. Deontay Johnson made some key drops in key situations. Eric Ebron, and I, I just worry about where this offense is going. And as good as the defense has been, that you know that's that's taken a step back since Bud Dupree's injury. They're going to have to pay T.J. Watt. Cam Hayward's not getting any younger. And it's it's one of those where they could be one of the teams where the sort of 
the change between playoffs and, and going to one of the worst teams in that division, especially in the AFC where you say there's so many young quarterbacks, that could be quite quite stark for Pittsburgh and, and quite quick. Right, let's hear from Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. I'm sure feeling good about the world with the Ravens' victory this weekend. And we're, then we'll take a look forward to divisional round. Uh, you're listening to The Gridiron Show. We take it for granted almost at this point, as I say, as always. It's a Super Bowl winning head coach who's joining us after all uh, with our friends at X-Tech Pads. It's Coach Brian Billick. I noticed the pad in the background next to the Super Bowl trophy. Excellent work, sir. You got to advertise a little bit. That's right. <laughs> uh, before we get to there's quite a lot to, to cover today, but before anything else, a topic we've discussed a lot over this season, the Baltimore Ravens finally get that playoff win. It did feel like a bit of a silly narrative maybe, but now it doesn't exist anymore. No, and that's typical. I mean, it was they had not come back from behind by more than 10. Uh, they had, could not win a playoff game with Lamar Jackson. Well, check off both boxes, and now you move on to the next one. And the next one will be, well, when will he win a championship? But that's understandable. That's the way it is. We said the same thing about Peyton Manning. It was, okay, when was he going to get the win? When's he going to get the championship? And and that's fair. Uh, it's, it's just from the standpoint that he's such a unique talent. They're such a good team. Uh, I think they've got a great chance this year. Uh, it's going to be a good game against the Buffalo Bills. But boy, when he ran off that 48-yard, I mean, there's two minutes in the game. They're down by 10. Everything just seems, okay, This we've seen this scenario before. It's just not going to happen. Tennessee had done a nice job of kind of limiting him, particularly on the outside. And then he, they, you know, he just takes one time. And he got shot out of a cannon on that third down, a 48-yard run for a touchdown. Then came out to open the second half with a 70-yard, 75-yard drive for a touchdown. And at that point, it was game, set, and match. Well, did you – think of his approach because the whole week he he didn't back down or bat away those questions he he kind of met it head on and was like no I want to win a game I'm disappointed we haven't yet yeah when those that and I've, I've been around just Lamar just a little bit when I do their preseason games and obviously my association with the the organization and visiting with people he is such a genuine personality he really is I mean this in a complimentary way he's just a kid and he's just out playing ball and he loves being with his teammates. He loves playing. I don't think all the bigger picture, peripheral, all the things that, you know, that, that go on here with the constant chatter, I just don't think that seeps into him. I think he's just a young kid that uh, likes to hang around the gym and play ball, and, and that uh, shows up on the field. Love that. Uh, as you know, we like to talk coaching, head coaching with you, uh, and this situation that's developing in Philadelphia over the last couple of days – blanket what what have you made of Doug Peterson leaving the organization this one was a bit of a shocker because Doug Peterson uh, Mr. Lurie the owner Harry Roseman they're they're kind of family I mean he was he played there he was with Andy Reid's staff when they let Andy go you know they flirted with they had Chip Kelly for a while didn't work out so what they do they reached back into the family brought Doug Peterson back and and won a Super Bowl with it so, you know, there's so many ties there. This, this one surprises me a little bit. Uh, it sounds like there are the, a lot of voices going on, as, as Doug Peterson's quoted as saying, I just got tired of people telling me what to do. And there were a lot of voices in there in terms of who they had in the organization, what they were trying to do, where they fell on the Carson Wentz, no Carson Wentz, yes on Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, how do we go forward? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the organization has to take responsibility. They just didn't have the players. The offensive line was a mess. They had no wide receivers, regardless of, you know, there was nothing to support Carson Wentz. I still think Carson Wentz is a good football player. 
So obviously there was a divide, whether it was Mr. Lurie, Harry Roseman, Doug Peterson, whichever way it went. And they just decided to, to part ways, which was a surprise because they, they were a tighter family than that. And it so, you know, quickly in the, in the uh, shadow of uh, just winning a Super Bowl three years ago. How important and how difficult is that balance to reach? And uh, kind of off the back of that, does it highlight the importance for these people who are out there finding their new head coaches, finding their new GMs right now, making sure that relationship is very defined from day one? Yeah, it's, it's huge. And it, and it is a relationship. It is a marriage. Uh, it has to be a shared vision for where you want to go. It doesn't mean you agree on everything. It doesn't mean you don't argue. And we used to call it scrimmage things around a little bit. Ozzie Newsom and I would do go back and forth all the time. But from my own personal experience, what, what was huge was the trust that Ozzie Newsom had, I had in him and he had in me, and the respect for the job that they had to do. That, that obviously Ozzie's job entailed certain things, my job entailed certain things, and it's vital that you respect those parameters of which the other guy has to work under. And it sounds like in Philly, maybe that, those lines were getting crossed. Everybody was deciding how Doug Peterson should do his job. And if that's the case, then yeah, it is time for Doug Peterson to go. But if you're going to do the same thing with the next guy, then you might as well keep that list of guys you're going to interview because you're going to be interviewing another one because it's going to end up the same way. Management has to find the guy they, they want, create that shared vision, and then let him do his job. I wanted to talk to you about stepping away from coaching because, I mean, there are guys in the league like Bill Belichick who we think might coach till literally they shift from this mortal coil. But Chuck Pagano made the decision to retire by the sounds of it today. Um, We didn't get to address it on the show because it happens in the last couple of hours. But uh, I'm assuming Chuck's probably someone you know came into Baltimore after you were there. Yes, Making- I know Chuck very well. Uh, in fact, I knew Chuck when, when I used to recruit uh, Colorado when I was at Stanford. His dad uh, is a very famous coach in, high school coach in Colorado. So I knew Chuck uh, way back then. And, and, yeah, I think you see it with Gary Kubiak. Uh, you see it with uh, a number of coaches. You know, you, at some point, this job can wear you out. And, and particularly after the year we just went through, that you can see where there's some coaches going, you know what, I need a break here. And maybe it's their circumstances. Maybe it's just what's going on. I've always said, notwithstanding a Pete Carroll and a Bill Belichick and these young guys that do a great job, it is a young man's game. Uh, Nick Saban is 69 years old. That's an interesting one to me to see if Nick Saban, I mean, how many national championships does he have to win? (laughs) Does Nick at 69, and he could name his spot, have still have that itch. He failed in the NFL in Miami. Of course, he'd come in with absolute control. There are some attractive jobs, and by that I mean the quarterback situation. It's interesting. There's seven jobs. Five of them have pretty good quarterbacks. And the other two, Jacksonville and New York, have the first and second round pick with a couple good quarterbacks on the stage for the draft. So uh, there's some attractive jobs. And and so does Nick Saban at some point. I'm, I'm waiting to hear that rumor start <laughs> that that uh, now if he's smart and Nick is it's look he's got everything going in Alabama life's good why would I take on that that challenge why would I take on that headache but yeah this is a young man's game and I can see uh, it's hard for me I'm 66 years old and I can't imagine still being part of that grind and, and I look at someone like say Mike Nolan who has had the head coaching yeah. opportunities has moved around has now left from the Cowboys as they bring Dan Quinn in and he said, like, I'm grateful for the opportunity and I'm looking for the next one. And you think 
there must be a point where you do think to yourself, do you know what? You know, I talked with Mike and Mike was on my staff. I've known Mike for years. He was on my staff in Baltimore. Great coach. He and his wife, Kathy, are just good people. Mike's a ball coach. I mean, his dad was a coach. He grew up a coach's son. Uh, It's just what he wants to do. And he'll go back and be a position coach. You know, obviously he'd like to get a coordinator's job, but he did a great job in uh, New Orleans uh, with Dennis Allen. Just got into that, you know, buzzsaw of a situation in Dallas and, and took the hit for it. But yeah, no, Mike, and, and he's, I'm sure he's on a contract for a couple more years and, and coaches contracts are guaranteed. So he's going to get paid. So he's actually, wherever he goes, he's going to do it for free because he's going to get paid. It's offset in the NFL. If you have an existing contract, you go someplace else, the club offsets the difference. Usually it's on the other way that if the club's going to pay you X and the new club's going to play you X plus they pay the X and, and the other club, plays the the plus in this instance i can't imagine he would get a positional job that paid as much as the coordinator's job i don't know what that number is in dallas so he for the next two years i'm guessing he'd be working for free that's not bad uh, not bad coach to be able to bring in someone with that level of experience who also isn't costing yeah. you any money he's yes. a shrewd franchise who'll go and get mike yes, if he's willing to drop back what are you looking forward to with division around weekend on the horizon it's a great weekend of football and great matchups uh, across the board. Uh, you know, begin with, with Baltimore and, and the Bills, two dynamic young quarter. It's interesting. We've got three future – on one side of the ticket, we have three future Hall of Fame guaranteed quarterbacks in Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. On the other side of the equation, we have three of the, the best young, you know, usurpers that want to rip that crown off the head of those guys in Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. And you can even throw Baker Mayfield in there. So this is uh, this is going to be interesting. I think Baltimore and, and the Bills, both dynamic quarterbacks, both very good teams. Last time they played last year in week 14, they held Lamar at only 40 yards in 11, uh, 11 carries. Now he threw three touchdown passes, and it was a seven-point game. Josh Allen did not play well last year. He's playing a lot better right now. So this, this game's going to be interesting to see if Baltimore can indeed – with the way he's throwing the ball down the field now with Stephon Diggs. He's got this young kid, Davis, Gabriel Davis, that's really emerged on the scene. Their defense is playing pretty good. And I think we'll take a page out of the Tennessee playbook in that, that okay, we're going to make Lamar, like they did last year, we're going to make Lamar stay horizontal. We're not going to let him get outside the edge. Like Tennessee learned, you better do it every down because one time now and boom, boy, he's off and, and, uh, and running. So, uh, I, that's going to be a fascinating matchup. Breeze and Brady, you know, there's, I just can't conceive that it's going to be like the last time they played where Norris just blew them out. I've, I've been saying all week, I think Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, conspiracy theorist-wise, they, they, this was by design, that they laid down for three quarters of the season, <laughs> going, okay, we're going, to, we're going to trick everybody, and we're not going to play well, and then we're going to turn it on just at the right time, because they are playing well. Uh, and, and the Tampa defense, I think, can, can uh, acquit itself well. They've got to take a page out of the Chicago playbook going, just don't give up the big play, make them go the distance, shorten the possessions. But now they have the, unlike Chicago, who didn't have the offense, Tampa Bay has the offense now to take advantage of it. So that, you know, from that standpoint, it's going to be a great game. Everybody's talking about the Rams and Green Bay. And, and do the, you would think, well, okay, in, in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers playing so well. Really, do the Rams have a chance? What's their quarterback situation? But they keep coming back to that defense. Aaron Donald, that pressure in the middle. Jalen Ramsey, who will likely travel with Devontae Adams and be with him all day long. How much does that inhibit it? Does Aaron Rodgers get chased out? I mean, it's hard for me to see L.A. with their quarterback situation going into Green Bay and winning. 
Green Bay's been vulnerable against the run. So if they can crank the run up like they did against Seattle. So a lot of, a lot of really good games this weekend. The very last thing I want to ask, Coach, because on our show this Sunday, uh, we are doing a 2018 first-round redraft as part of the show in the build-up. So oh. I'm picking for the Browns at number one. Should I take Josh Allen there in my redraft? Wow. I, that, again, everybody's talking about Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson in, in the Q Factor, my book. We happened to take the 2018 draft and talk about that. And that was the interesting thing because all five players, whether it was Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, there's a name for you, and Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I don't think Josh Rosen is going to get picked. I'm not going to. No, <laughs> uh, all different circumstances, all different sets of talents. So you kind of kind of like the draft coming up this year, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Fields and Zach Wilson from BYU different types of talents. So it's okay. What, what do you think the quarterback position is in the NFL? And where do you go of that group? I don't know how you not take Josh Allen. He has been absolutely spectacular. The concern coming out was the completion percentage and the first two years didn't look like it was going to get better, which it typically doesn't in the NFL. Somehow he has flipped it to where he has been magnificent in the pocket. He still has the athleticism. He's got some good talent around him as well. Yeah, given that, as brilliant as Lamar Jackson has been, yeah, I think it would be Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and then Baker Mayfield's obviously stepped up and playing well, playing better. I don't know if he's truly a first-round worthy pick in terms of a franchise quarterback. There's some potential there. Of course, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, no, it's just not there. Uh, Maybe Sam Darnold will nick into the back end of the first. Who knows? Really appreciate your time as always, Coach. Thank you so much and look, enjoy the divisional weekend. Have a good weekend. Brian Billick with our friends at X-Tech Pads. Right, let's take a quick look forward to divisional round weekend. Saturday, we kick things off in the NFL. Oh, well, I think it's a 9, 9.40, 9.30, whatever time that kickoff is. It's 9 and, and 1 basically on Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, here we go. 9.35, the Packers-Rams game. This might be the game of the weekend. I'm Certainly the two Saturday games. They all look pretty good, but can the best defense in the NFL over the last 10 weeks go into and face the MVP elect and get themselves a result? I know we've picked the Packers already on our, our bet ball stuff, and I think there is a good reason that they're the favorites. But this looks like, if you told me this was going to be the matchup two or three weeks ago, I'm not sure I would have been as excited as I am about it now. I loved what I saw from the Rams the last couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm ready for this. It's the immovable object versus the unstoppable force, isn't it? You know, Packers number one scoring offense in the league versus the Rams, who are the stingiest defense in the league. And, and everywhere you look, there's, there's fantastic matchups. Corey Lindsay versus Aaron Donald. I mean, I think we all want to see Devontae Adams, Jalen Ramsey, and see if he can he can shut him down. And it's a it's a really interesting game. You know, that Rams defense with with Brandon Seth, they've given up 30 points only once all year, and they're going to have to be that good again this year because you know whoever plays at quarterback for the Rams, whether it's Jared Goff or John Wolford, and I guess we won't know until about an hour before kickoff. And Jay Glazer tells us again, they're going to struggle. And I think the Packers, I think it'll be one of those games where the Rams will stay in it and stay close. But I just think the Packers will have a little bit too much to pull away from from them at the end. And the Aaron Donald injury is going to be a big thing as, as well in that game. And I, I just think the Packers have looked really, really good the last few weeks. And they're kind of clicking and rolling at the right time. And I think you always back the, the elite quarterback in this situation. Aaron Donald is supposedly going to be good to go, but we don't know what kind of level that will be. We don't yet know about the quarterback position. We talked about this at the weekend, Simon, on on that WhatsApp group, but 
the quality of the coaching, particularly in the secondary on this defense. Yes, they've got Jalen Ramsey, who's an absolute superstar, but. Jordan Fuller, a sixth-round rookie, Troy Hill, John Johnson, Darius Williams, all making multiple plays this weekend and over recent weeks. It's If there's a team that are set up to beat what the Packers can do, it is the Rams, but that still might not be enough. Yeah, Darius Williams and John Johnson are probably two of the best players in the league that people don't really know anything about. You know, the average fan has probably never heard of Darius Williams and, and, and John Johnson. Johnson's a free agent, actually, after the season. I think he's going to make himself some significant cash. He's actually played very well since he was drafted, I think, in the second round four years ago. Uh, Boise, uh, he's, uh, yeah, I think Brandon Staley's done an amazing job, but I think just Green Bay's efficiency in the red zone, their efficiency on third down, they've just got so many weapons. You know, the introduction of AJ Dillon, I think the weather will obviously pay a factor. It's going to be cold in Green Bay, obviously. Yeah, I can't see anything but a Packers win. I'd be very surprised if the Rams were able to eat this one out as well. It was, I think it was the third round four years ago, but you were very close. You were very close. Uh, It's not good enough and you're fired. (laughs) We've then got Saturday night Bills, Ravens, and quite a few people fancying the Ravens to go there and do this. I, I honestly think the Bills have looked like the best team in the AFC over the past seven or eight weeks. And I quite like the Bills at home in this game. Why do you, uh, let's go Liam, because you know you were the one kind of pitching for the Ravens. Where, why do you think the Ravens match up well? So what I will say about the Bills is that that was probably their worst performance in weeks against the Colts this weekend. And Josh Allen still had a good game and they still managed to get a win. Don't imagine them playing badly two weeks in a row. Just don't see it. I don't. I just think it's more the defence. I think that you can run on that defence and Baltimore have got such a good ground attack and you know you can control the court, you can control possession, you can keep... Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown on the sidelines. I think that's the way that Baltimore win this game. And as I mentioned in, in the, the Batball video we did, you know, Wink Martindale's had Josh Allen's number the previous two times he's played him. It's two of Josh Allen's worst performances have come against Baltimore in 2018 and 2019. I accept he's made a huge leap forward this year. But for me, the, the game's going to be won. It's going to be Wink Martindale's scheme versus Brian Dable's scheme, you know. Will Wink Martindale strike another blow for the old white coaches, Matthew Sherry's club, that don't get a job ahead of Brian Dable, who's almost certainly going to get a head coaching job somewhere. So I just think it's a really good matchup for Baltimore in terms of I think they can control the clock, control possession and, and keep Josh Allen on the sidelines. Two things I think are really important in this game defensively for the Bills, because I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC over the last few weeks, is gap control on defence and maintaining their gaps and their rush lanes is very important. But I think the four most important players are Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, uh, Tremaine Edmonds uh, and Matt Milano because they have to keep contain on Lamar Jackson. You know, whether they employ a spy, you know, Tremaine Edwards is extremely quick and if it's going to be anybody, it would probably be him. I would go man up on the outside because, I, you know, the, the Ravens don't worry me. I'm not threatened by them. You know, Tredavious White can eliminate um, their number one receiver. The run game, obviously, very important and that's where I think A, gap discipline and B, those four players, you know, I suspect Poyer and Hyde will step closer to the box and I think that the emphasis on Milano and on Edmonds to try and keep Jackson contained will be a key to winning this game. They gave up nearly 500 yards of offence to the Colts. Now, this Baltimore team is offensively far better than the Colts, and I think that's where the Bills might come fall down in this game. All right, let's, uh, let's talk Sunday. Looking forward to the final two games of Divisional Weekend. And up next, the first game, the opening game on Sunday, is that Chiefs-Browns game. I, the Browns 
playing with a bit of house money here, overachieving on this year overall, managing what they've managed to do, despite the fact that they've had the COVID ravaging of their squad over the past few weeks, the fact that they were missing their head coach and one of their very best players in Joel Batonio, who will both be back for this weekend in order to help that run game and to be on the sideline and, and do the jobs of a head coach. But they are facing a chief side who we're talking about. Andy Reid off the bye week, the points scored. I think he averages 37, 38 points off a bye week uh, since he's come into the Kansas City Chiefs, which is ridiculous. You know, they are the number one seed for a reason, even if they've not really got out of second gear in the second half of the season, Liam. Yeah, the, the big point you made there was Andy Reid coming off a bye week, you know, five and two off a first round bye in the playoffs, 19 and three in the regular season. He's been able to to cut this up. And I think you made a really good point in our bet ball preview when you said that sometimes teams almost play their Super Bowl and the kind of emotional pull of playing a game against Pittsburgh last week with the Browns. First playoff win since the 90s, first playoff game since the early 2000s. I remember as a Jets fan, the 2010 season, it was, I think, when um, Rex Ryan's team went into New England, won that game and the kind of emotional pull. Then they played Pittsburgh the week after in a divisional game and there was just a huge come down, you know, to raise your level and kind of get that emotion back for two weeks in a row is very difficult. You know, the Browns have probably done more than we expected in terms of winning the playoff game this season. You know, their points differential was the worst of all the teams that are in the playoffs. They've been blown out by quite a few teams this season when they've lost games. You know, the secondary worries me. Denzel Ward um, has been on the COVID list, whether he returns for this. They've not had Greedy Williams all year. A couple of the backup guys they've had in are missing. Ben Roethlisberger just thrown for 500 yards on him and now you're up against Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill. I just think it's one of those where I think the Browns can, can keep it close, but I think the Chiefs will just score too many points. The Browns have got to run the game, control the clock, if they you know keep Mahomes off the field. You know, I do wonder about the Chiefs. You know, last seven games uh, of the regular season, they won by seven points or less. They haven't played particularly well in the last month. Mahomes hasn't played particularly well in the last month. You know, it'll be 20 days, I think, at kickoff since he's thrown the ball in anger. And I'll be very interested to see how it plays out. Who, you know, I think the Browns have to pick their poison a little bit defensively. You know, do they try and shut down Hill and that longer passing game? And, and therefore, that leaves the middle of the field open. I suspect they'll play some quarters coverage if they get um, some cover four, if they get Ward back. Um, and that will mean that Travis Kelsey will eat across the middle. But for me, I think you've just got to try and control the clock. What the Browns do very well is that their scripted plays that they start with always work very well. They then tend to go off the boil for a certain period during it. The, they're going to have to play four really good quarters of football, I think, if they're going to win this. The emotional point is very interesting. I just wonder as well, though, the flip side of the Chiefs, you know, Eric Bionemi with head coaching interviews, read this morning that Mike Kafka, the, the pass game coordinator and the, and the quarterbacks coach, is, is heavily tipped to become the Philadelphia Eagles' next head coach. Um, I just saw Albert Breer talking about that. It's very interesting to see whether or not there are any distractions or whether or not Andy Reid can kind of keep everything on the on the straight and narrow. And I think everybody at home would agree that the Chiefs should win this, but I, I'm not sold that I'd be completely shocked if the Browns came in and, and, and surprised people. Jeffrey Lurie going back to that Andy Reid coaching well. Uh, we finished the weekend with the divisional in the divisional round with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. They first played uh, on week one of this season at the Superdome. The Saints coming out on top 34-23. They then went and thrashed them in Tampa Bay at the Raymond James 38-3 in week nine of the season. So why should we think that this result is going to be any different, Simon? Um, I don't think it will be, actually. Uh, uh... 
you know, and I've talked over the last couple of weeks on the pod that I thought Tampa were the the team, the dark horse in the NFC, but actually seeing them against Washington, they are fairly one-dimensional. If Ronald Jones can't go, Leonard Fournette is not the Leonard Fournette that was at LSU and that we saw in flashes at Jacksonville. You know, the passing game obviously works and Antonio Brown, for the terrible human being that he is, has introduced a, you know, an interesting aspect to that offense. But New Orleans just looked too good, both defensively, but also, you know, the offense has really started to come alive with Michael Thomas coming back, with Taysom Hill returning to that position that he is so good at. And, and Alvin Kamara's, you know, very few people have played as well as Alvin Kamara have over the last month of the season. Yeah, and also there's some bad blood there as well. You know, you go back to, you know, Matt Sherry and I were in the stadium when the Mike Evans, Marshall Lattimore fight happened a few years back and the bad bloods remained between the, the two of them. And I think we're more likely to see the sort of result that we got in the um, in the second of those regular season games than we were in the first. I just think the Saints just have too much. I think they'll march forward to Lambeau for the NFC Championship game against the Packers. Yeah, I disagree. I fancy the Bucks in this game. Um, yeah, I accept that the Saints have beat them twice this year, but I think Tampa Bay are a completely different team offensively since week 13 when they had the bye, averaging 35.8 points in the past five games. Brady looks absolutely revitalised. I think it's 14 touchdowns and, and one interception in that time. You know, they've got Antonio Brown going. Chris Godwin, although he had a couple of drops on Saturday, has looked really good. Mike Evans will have another week where he'll, he'll be fitter and, and that matchup against Marshawn Lattimore will be be really interesting but they seem to have tweaked this offence a little bit you know Brady's still getting the ball out really quickly but he's, he's finding his deep passes he's been really efficient on the deep passes they've kind of involved the running backs a bit more in the passing game Cameron Bray had a big game against Washington and the tight ends are kind of getting involved a little bit and this is the battle of the, of the, of the golden oldies and you look at Drew Brees and kind of how they struggled to, to move the ball I think it was 39 passing attempts and they had 265 yards the Saints offence last week he's He's kind of looks laborious and it's kind of looks like a struggle to move the ball. Whereas with Brady, it, it looks effortless, even though he's 43, which as Matthew Sherry knows is a storyline we don't really talk about much. <laughs> the Bucks offensive line as well, you mentioned there, uh, Smith and Walsh did a really good job last week against Washington, one of the best defensive lines in the league. And that's going to be a big matchup against the Saints who will, will hope they can push him around a little bit and, and move Brady and make things uncomfortable for him. But I guess the one concern from the Bucks watching the game against uh, Washington was that Taylor Heineke was thrown guy to guys that were wide open on that game on the Saturday, and none of us expected that really. And the Bucks defense have had a couple of games this year where they've laid absolute eggs, one of them being against the Saints. So can Todd Bowles kind of find a way to to negate all that, or will it be another instance? I, I kind of tend to think that perhaps it was one of those who weren't expecting Taylor Heineke to play all week. He's a mobile quarterback, kind of difficult to to plot against and. I think they get it back on track here. And yeah, I really like, I mean, Simon, as he said, was fancy the Bucks as one of the NFC dark horses and I've not seen anything out of, to convince me otherwise from Brady in the past few weeks. Lovely well, stuff. Well, let us know your thoughts. Oh, here we go. I've got a sweater. So <laughs> Start all over again. Let's go. Let us know who you fancy at UK Gridiron on Instagram, at Gridiron on Twitter. Keep checking out all the fine work that the guys are doing there as well. We'll be back next week to look forward to Championship Weekend. We're only a few weeks away from the Super Bowl now. Plans starting to come together for Super Bowl week as well. Obviously, we won't be able to be out there doing the usual pod a day from Radio Row with all the interviews, but there's a lot being lined up remotely. A lot of Zoom calls going to be happening, so don't worry. We'll still be bringing you lots of cracking content. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Top work. This has been The Gridiron Show.